All right, time to get started. It's 12.30. We want to honor everybody's time. <clears throat> um, welcome, those of you, if it's your first time especially, welcome. We do this every week. We uh, give you a nice meal that's cooked by the nice people in the back, and we ask that if you like it, to leave a tip. Uh, that's what that goes for, to take care of the ladies to cook for us each week and serve us. Um, so we're glad you're here. We've been in the book of De Deuteronomy all year. <clears throat> we're going to be on track to finish it out by the end of the year because we're coming to the last section. We're in the, the last maybe three more chapters of the bulk of the book, which is the stipulations of the covenant. And <clears throat> so we're in the part where Moses is laying out for Israel, hey, this is how you're going to live when you get into the land as my covenant people. And this is what your parents should have experienced, but they died in the wilderness because of their disobedience and their rejection of my covenant. And so now you're getting a chance to, to be my people in the land that I'm going to bring you. And so this is what Moses is telling Israel, and then Moses is going to die. Spoiler alert. Moses dies at the end of this book, and Israel then is going to enter the land under Joshua. And we will look into that next, uh, probably in, yeah, in 2019, we'll spend time in Joshua. But right now, <clears throat> we're in Deuteronomy chapter 23. Chapter 22, 21, 22 looked at <clears throat> the laws, the ethical and legal commands and laws having to do with life and sanctity. <clears throat> chapter 23 is going to kind of shift gears a little bit, not really shifting gears, but um, Moses is telling Israel how they're to live in all spheres of life. And chapter 23 is now going to transition into the, the sphere of, of holiness or purity or cleanliness. And those of you that were here uh, two years ago when we did Leviticus, we spent a year going through the book of Leviticus and we saw how the theme that God wanted of holiness and cleanliness and purity, it didn't have anything to do with superstition. It didn't even really have much to do. I mean, it had some to do with hygiene, but... It was more than hygiene. It was more than good health and diet. It was God was using Israel as an illustration. Israel as a nation was to be His illustration to the world of concepts that He wanted the world to know. Concepts about God, <clears throat> things about God, the type of God He was that He wanted other people to see. And within the context of the ancient Near East, some of the stuff made sense, but within the context of today, a lot of it doesn't make sense because we're just in a different culture at a different time. So what we have to do is travel back into that world and see the world through the lens of an ancient Near Easterner to see the impact that God's standards would have had on the people around Israel looking. And so for Israel, there was to be um, a meticulous keeping of this concept between the, the normal and the holy, the common and the holy the unclean and the clean. And these weren't sinful categories. It didn't, if you were here with Leviticus, if you weren't here, uh, go back, check uh, discipledojo.org. You can click on the link to the video series and you can watch. We record every week, audio and video. You can walk through the book of Leviticus in 30-minute chunks and you can hear all of this, how God laid it out for the people. But there was a difference. It wasn't about sinful and, and righteous. It was about clean and unclean. It was about common and holy. And there was a realm of things that were in the normal, the common, the everyday, that were good. God created them. It's not like they're bad, but they were not to come into contact with the realm of the holy, the clean, the pure, 
and we import ethical dimensions onto this, but it's not the case in Israel. God created all animals. He saw all creation was good. But within that good creation, then He pulled out, He separated, these are the clean animals. In other words, the animals you can eat, that you can use, that you can have uh, around you. These are the unclean animals, the animals that are not to be used for human consumption or human produce or human use. And that was a distinction that God set up for Israel and the people of Israel to live in covenant as an illustration. Then when Jesus comes along in the New Testament, that period of Israelite separateness from the nations, from the Gentiles, comes to an end. Because Jesus then takes the most distinctive feature of Israel's separation, the food laws, and declares, hey, you know nothing that goes into you can make you unclean, right? It's the stuff that comes out of you that makes you unclean. And that was a monumental shift, but it was one that the Old Testament had predicted, had looked towards, and it was one that Jesus inaugurated. So that's now why we today do not keep Old Testament purity laws and cleanliness laws and um, the laws about ceremonial purity. We don't keep those, not because they aren't important or that God got it wrong, but it's because we live in a different covenant. We live in a different time period now. It served its purpose and it brought, was brought to its completion, not its abrogation, not its uh, abolishment, but its completion in Jesus. And so then through Jesus now we live and we keep the same principles of the Old Testament laws, but in a different format, in a different way. And we'll look specifically this week an example. But I'm going to tell you this, I've been raised in church, born uh, Christian my whole I don't remember a time when I didn't know the Lord. Um, my dad's a preacher. I was literally baptized when I was six years old. Um, but before then, I was still knew Jesus. I just asked, hey, am I baptized? And my parents said no. And I was like, well, why not? Um, so my entire life has been spent in and around churches. Never in 40 years have I ever heard any pastor preach a sermon on Deuteronomy chapter 23. Never. I've never heard it discussed in a Bible study, and I've certainly never heard it discussed in a lunchtime Bible study. <laughs> Why? Deuteronomy 23.1 No one who has been emasculated by crushing or cutting may enter the assembly of the Lord. That's a weird verse. Uh, it starts the chapter off, King James says it so ridiculously funny. Uh, King James <laughs> had to write it down because it was so funny says, he that is wounded in the stones or hath his privy, privy member cut off <laughs> shall not enter the assembly of the Lord. This is the kind of stuff we talk about at Ruth's Chris Bible Study, by the way. We hit all the verses that you don't hear. There, there's no precious moments calendar illustration for this verse. Uh, literally, the Hebrew text literally says, anyone who has had his testicles crushed or his penis cut off may not enter the assembly of the Lord. The Word of God for the people of God. Praise be to God. Amen. <laughs> Never heard this preached. Never heard this preached in a church. <clears throat> it goes on to say, verse 2, no one, I'm reading NIV, and NIV really sanitizes and skirts around issues so that, I don't know why, but anyway, it says, uh, no one born of a forbidden marriage nor any of his descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord, even down to the tenth generation. It's, literally, it says, no bastard may enter the assembly of the Lord. 
That's the literal word for it. So two verses back to back that start Deuteronomy 23 that, again, I, if you have ever heard these preached in the church Sunday service, uh, give me that pastor's number because I want to know how they handled it and what they did with this. <clears throat> what is going on here? Why is this verse in the Bible? Next time you get sign a greeting card or a get well card, just Deuteronomy 23.1. Just put that in there. <clears throat> Just to see if they look the verse up or if they just read it and throw it away. You can do that with Ezekiel 23.20 as well. Those are two that are just always appropriate because they are wildly inappropriate. <clears throat> but what is going on here? Let's, let's unpack this a little bit. Moses is talking about what's the assembly of the Lord. Um, this word is translated in the Greek, New, the Greek version of the Old Testament around before the time of Jesus. This word was translated as the ecclesia of the Lord. Ecclesia is the word that every time in your New Testament you read the word church, you're reading the word ecclesia. So this is the Old Testament word for church, the assembly of the Lord, the gathered people, the people who are gathered and not just gathered, but gathered to worship. This is the worshiping community. That is not a New Testament concept. There's a movement called dispensationalism in the mid-1800s where John Nelson Darby and others said, well, the Old Testament never foresaw the church. The church is a new thing in God's plan because the Jews rejected Jesus. And they looked and they saw the mountaintops of Scripture, but the church was hidden in the valley. Not true at all. The, the church is just the New Testament extension of the Old Testament assembly of God, assembly of Israel, assembly of the people. So this is talking about the worshiping community. Not all of Israel, not the people of Israel. This is a term to note. The assembly. That's a specific term. So we can't just read this and think, oh, well, that's an English synonym. It just means gathering of the people. So this meant that anybody with these conditions wasn't welcome in Israel. No, 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 no. Not the case. This is talking about the worshiping community. The worshiping community are those who gather at the tabernacle. Later, at the temple. And when you gather at the temple or the tabernacle, when you engage in the worship life of Israel, there are standards of purity and, and holiness and cleanliness and all these you know, categories that we read about in Leviticus. Moses is saying those are in effect. And he's speaking now because they're on the verge of entering into Canaan. He starts off with two uh, types of people who says now these are not to be allowed into the community, worshiping community. And the first one is these men who have been what we would say castrated. Whether through crushing of their testicles, again, great dinner conversation, or having actually their entire genitalia removed surgically. These, why? Why is this even an issue? Did guys run around crushing themselves? No. And is it talking about people accidentally or born with birth defects? No. This is talking about people who have, in the ancient Near East culture, had this done to them or done it themselves in order to change their gender in order most of the time in the setting of the Canaanite fertility worship and cult prostitution and, and other pagan rituals. And so this, is, this whole section is going to be about the, the elements of Canaanite culture that God says these will not be part of my worshiping community. So Canaanite fertility worship, those of you who haven't been here, we, we talk about all kinds of fun stuff here. You know, orgy worships and you know, the whole Baal and Asherah and how the worship is basically when it rains, that is Baal inseminating the womb of Asherah. 
So rain is seen as the storm gods, literally his semen, entering into the womb of the earth. And from that, what happens when semen enters into the womb? A baby is born. Well, if it's the gods of fertility, what happens? Crops grow. Your animals have more children. Your people, your, your women bear more children. All of the Canaanite worship was centered around fertility, which was centered around sexuality. And so when God's saying is, hey, my worship, worship of me, is not going to have any of that. Because all of that is the turning from the Creator to the creation, and it's an inversion of what God wants in, in His people in terms of, of seeing, um, basically seeing sex as not something to be deified, but rather a gift given from God to us, but for a purpose. It has nothing to do with, with sacred worship or getting your crops to grow or getting your people to be more fertile or none of that. But in the Canaanite culture into which Israel is going and the Egyptian culture from which Israel came, all of these things had been blended together. And so what God is preventing and saying will not happen in this section, these elements of pagan worship entering into the worshiping community of God. And so he goes on to say, no one born, and this word that in the KJV or other, I don't know if King James, one of them translates bastard. Um, it's, a, it's a word, mamzer. We don't really have much context for what it means. It's only used, I think, twice in the Old Testament. But it just means like, like the offspring of an illegitimate sexual union, a non-married sexual union. So this would refer to the children that were, that were um produced from unions between worshipers of Baal and temple prostitutes, or just any type of non, any type of licentious or promiscuous. Um, this was God saying, not in, the, not in the worshiping community. Not in the worshiping community. The worshiping community, just like you can't bring animals with any kind of defect, you're also not going to bring people, worshipers, with any kind of defect. Now, for one thing, on the... the Levitical end of this, it makes perfect sense. God's separating clean, unclean, holy, common. Um, you know, but from the gospel side, when we look back, we go, whoa, wait a minute. Just because your parents were illegitimate, you know, your parents had a sexual relation that wasn't legitimate and you were born, now God's saying, I don't love you anymore? No, not at all. In fact, the prophets, remember, this is not God's permanent ethic. This is not for all time. Because one, literally, God is going to say, look, take Isaiah chapter 56. When you're reading this section, you can't read it without reading Isaiah chapter 56. Because Isaiah is going to come later in Old Testament times, and he's going to address this very concern. So put your hand, when you, if you have your Bible, and if you don't have your Bible, you should have your Bible. It's a Bible study. Um, put your hand, unless you're new here, then you're excused. Uh, just hold Isaiah 56 and go back. I'm going to read this section and then I want you to hear what Isaiah promises. So he says, we've looked at those two. Then he says, verse 3, No Ammonite or Moabite or any of his descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord, even down to the tenth generation. And in Hebrew, it literally says, Ad Olam, until forever. That's left out in the NIV for some reason. Don't know why. <clears throat> for they did not come to meet you with bread and water on your way when you came out of Egypt, and they hired Bilaam, son of Beor of Pethor in Aram Naharayim, to pronounce a curse on you. You were here last year in Numbers, you remember Bilaam and his uh, story. However, the Lord your God would not listen to Bilaam, but turned the curse into a blessing 
for you because the Lord your God loves you. So do not seek a treaty of friendship with them as long as you live. But do not abhor an Edomite, for he's your brother. And do not abhor an Egyptian because you lived as an alien in his country. The third generation of children born to them may enter the assembly of the Lord. So what God is doing in this section, He's delineating out these people who can and cannot enter into the worshiping community of God. And He's giving it corporate designations and He's being, Moses is emphasizing this, saying forever. Now the problem is it's not forever. And the Bible tells us it's not forever. And so what we have to realize is that forever doesn't mean forever in the Hebrew Bible all the time. God calls His Old Covenant, His Sinai Covenant, a covenant forever, ad olam, until eternity. But then the New Covenant comes and brings the Old Covenant to a close. That phrase forever doesn't mean forever. Until eternity doesn't mean forever. It means for a long time. It comes from a root word which means hidden. Uh, and it means like looking into the future it's so far away that it's hidden from sight right now. But it's a long time. But it's not forever. The reason we know it's not forever you're not allowed that no Ammonite or Moabite. Who are they? Well, they were the incestuous offspring of Lot, if you remember back in Genesis, and his descendants. They are not to enter the assembly of the Lord. Well, guess what? One of them does. She gets a whole book named after her. Ruth the Moabite. And she becomes King David's great-grandmother. Or great-great-grandmother. So the, the Bible itself lets us know that this is not a literal prohibition of the ethnicity. Ruth comes into the community of Israel. She's welcomed. Why? Because she comes as a worshiper of God. She comes not as a Moabite. She comes now as a member of the covenant community. And what God is saying here is, what we'll see in the rest of Scripture is, you can't be one of these people and be in God's worshiping community, but you can become one of God's worshiping community if you forsake these people. See, it's not the ethnicity that God wants to keep out of Israel's worship. It's the paganism. So you can't come into Israel and be part of the assembly, the worshiping community, and still retain your pagan identity. You have to give up your pagan identity, as Ruth did, and become a member of the covenant community. Then you are, like we know of another one, the only man other than Joshua who lived to come out of Egypt and enter into the promised land. Caleb. Caleb's name literally means Gentile dog. He gets an inheritance in Israel. Why? Because he didn't remain a Gentile. He didn't remain a Kenizzite. He actually came and entered into, came into the tribe of Judah, became one of God's people. Even though ethnically, genetically he was a Gentile, covenantally he was a God worshiper of God. And so when we read this section, we have to realize that that's what it's talking about. Not the ethnicity, but the identity that one is claiming. So, and we know that's the case with Ruth and Caleb and other Gentiles who come to faith. But what about the people who, again, they're born of illegitimate marriage or, or people who are eunuchs? That's irreversible, right? What, what are they going to do? Well, this is when Isaiah 56, <clears throat> Isaiah is talking to Israel and Chapter 56 says he's speaking to disobedient Israel, covenant Israel who has abandoned the covenant, and he's promising them a future of restoration and a new covenant. And he says, chapter 56, this is what the Lord says, maintain justice and do what is right, for my salvation is close at hand, and my righteousness will soon be revealed. 
Blessed is the man who does this, the man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbaths without desecrating it, and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Let no foreigner who has bound himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from His people. And let not any eunuch complain, I'm only a dried up tree. The two categories that Deuteronomy is seeming to prevent from being into the worship community. Isaiah is saying, no, don't let any of them say, let no foreigner who has bound himself to the Lord say the Lord will exclude me. That's the key. Bound himself to the Lord. And then in parallel to that, or any eunuch who's bound himself to the Lord, complain, well, I'm only a dried up tree. You know, I can't have children. I can't have offspring. So I'm just useless. I'm this deformed uh, outcast from society. And God doesn't want anything to do with me. Isaiah is saying, no, don't say that. Verse 4, for this is what the Lord says, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I'll give them an everlasting name that will not be cut off. That's a wordplay. By the way, eunuchs were cut off. That's, you can laugh at that. That is a wordplay. Uh, God loves wordplays. They're all over the Hebrew Bible. And, verse 6, and foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to serve Him, to love the name of Yahweh, and to worship Him, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it, and who hold fast to My covenant, these I will bring to My holy mountain and give them joy in My house of prayer specifically where they're prevented from going in Deuteronomy. And God's saying, no, 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 no. That's not going to be the case always. For my house, their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. The sovereign Lord declares, he who gathers the exiles of Israel, I will gather still others besides those already gathered. So Isaiah is predicting in the future of Israel, Hey, you're in, you're, this is long after Israel's been in the land, rejected from the land, scattered, dispersed. Isaiah promises that God's going to bring them back from captivity, back from Babylon, reestablish Jerusalem, build the temple, all the stuff that happens with Ezra and Nehemiah and we read about. And he says, but it's not just going to be Israel. I'm going to gather others besides them. And he names specifically the foreigner and the eunuch. The two that were specifically excluded in this section of Deuteronomy. So we have to read Deuteronomy 23. We have to read it with Isaiah 23 as well, or Isaiah 56 as well, saying this is not God's permanent plan. This is God's temporary plan for a purpose in Israel at this time to differentiate them from Canaan. But this is not God's permanent plan, and it doesn't reveal this by itself does not say anything about God's actual heart for those people in these categories who do turn to Him. So when we read this, some people read this and they use it to justify exclusion of, you know, whether literal foreigners or non-Christians, they might say, or, you know, when they read the stuff about eunuchs, they go, oh, that's talking about the trans community or the gay community or this and that. And, and then they just, you know, as if this tells us God's heart. No, this tells us God's ceremonial standards for first covenant Israel in the tabernacle Isaiah 56 tells us God's heart for those people. And so that's what we have to keep in mind. So you can't just read atomistically. 
in the Old Testament. One verse, and that's what it means. And you, know, you have to read and see the whole span of Scripture, where it's headed, what God's doing. And so people say, oh, the Deuteronomy is so exclusive. You know, the Old Testament is so, uh, you know, it's so harsh. It's so... No, it's, it's, it's just, it's not the full picture. It's a part of it. It's the beginning of it. It's the, hey, you, this is the type of ethical, not ethical, this is the type of ceremonial purity that's going to be maintained in my tabernacle in Israel when they get into the land of Canaan. And I'm not going to have Israel do. God, the whole thrust of Torah is for Israel to not do what the nations did. What did the nations do? They brought in all types of worship of all types of gods and all types of practices. And God specifically, more than anything else in all of the Old Testament, God is telling Israel, do not mix other people the way they worship their gods with how you worship me. That's the thing that gets Israel kicked out of the land. Because that is what all the unethical stuff flows out of. Once you invert the order of creation, then you open yourself up to living out an ethic based on who knows what. And so you'd have Canaanites living out the ethic of Baal or Asherah, uh, Moloch or Chemosh, or the Egyptians living out the ethic of Ra or Set or uh, you know, Isis or any of these other gods and goddesses. And God's saying, no, 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 your ethic is going to come from me. What are the two great commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. You can't do the second without doing the first. And you can't not do the second if you're doing the first. And that's what God is trying to ingrain in Israel. So he starts this strange chapter, Deuteronomy 23, starts off with this strange verse about men with their junk cut off and basically says, yeah, hey, this is all within the realm of my ceremonial purity of the worshiping community. You're not going to be Canaanites. You're going to be Yahwehites. And anybody that's from the Canaanites, if they ever want to enter into which they will eventually, they have to become Yahwehites. Covenant fidelity is what determines membership in the kingdom of God. And that's still the case today. The Israel of God is still the covenant community of God, not the people who can trace their ancestry through genetics or their nationality to a country or anything like that. It's no. Are you currently in covenant with God? You yourself. If so, you are Abraham's offspring and heir to the promises, as Paul says in Galatians Chapter 3. So he goes on then. Here's another verse. We'll finish with this one because it's just fun. And you, again, never hear this preached in a church service. When you are encamped against your enemies, keep away from everything. This is army. And now he's talking to the army. Remember, Israel was a mobile battle people. They, the, they were army camped around the tabernacle. And then the, the, the tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant, would go out and lead them into battle. And all the camps would move with it. So they're a mobile army. It says, when you're encamped against your enemies, keep away from everything impure. If one of your men is unclean because of a nocturnal emission, another word you never hear at a Bible study, he is to go outside the camp and stay there. But as evening approaches, he's to wash himself, and at sunset he may return to the camp. NIV says nocturnal emission. Again, fun word. But it actually, in Hebrew, it literally just says because of what happens at night. It's actually a much broader, and so Deuteronomy commentators said this, could, this is actually could be that, or it could just be a guy going out to relieve himself and not going outside of the camp because it's dark at night. It, it could be any of that, <clears throat> but what God's saying in this section, he's maintaining this purity of the camp. And in verse 12, another fun one, designate a place outside the camp where you can go relieve yourself. As part of your equipment, have something to dig with. 
And when you relieve yourself, dig a hole and cover up your excrement. For the Lord your God moves about in your camp to protect you and to deliver your enemies to you. Your camp must be holy so that, he will not be see, he, so that it will not be seen among you anything indecent and he will turn away from you. So now, this is the image of God. Now, this, this is where, again, I want to see the imagery, uh, even if the verses are weird. This is basically telling Israel, hey, you're an army when you're encamped. Don't just go to the bathroom wherever you want. Like, go make a latrine. Go dig a hole when you cover up your mess. Why? Because God is among you. And He's going to be walking around. It's not like God's going to actually step in anything. I mean, He's God. He doesn't have feet. But it's, it's like, hey, who are you? You're not just this rabble of uh, former ex-slaves. You're not just these people. You're, you have a dignity. You have a cleanliness. You have a holiness. You have a righteousness. You have an order that I want to be maintained. Also, it's super unsanitary <laughs> if you don't do this. There's a... Because <laughs> I'm going to India again next year. I go every year to teach. But <laughs> the Indian government health ministry <laughs> commissioned a video. You, I promise I'm not making this up. You can YouTube this right now. People in India were not using the bathroom in any one designated spot. They were doing it wherever they want to. And like out in the field, in the roads, wherever. And somebody asked them, hey, why aren't you going to the bathroom in your house? And they're like, my house? I sleep there. Why would I ever use the bathroom there? <laughs> and so the government was trying to get all of these people in rural parts of India to use latrines because of disease and because of pollution of water and all this stuff. So they made a video, a music cartoon music video called Take the Poo to the Loo. And it's all of these dancing little poop emojis jumping into a giant toilet. I promise you, you can Google this right now and it'll come up. But the point was that, that people weren't doing And so like, you had to tell people, hey, make an effort. Go do this. This is going to be for your own benefit. But even among the cleanliness, remember when we looked at the rules back in Leviticus for washing the cups and the vessels? It wasn't about just hygiene and keeping a clean kitchen. Cleanliness is kind of next to godliness in the book of Deuteronomy. It's saying, hey, you're, even, even how you clean, even how you preserve your uh, hygiene, it needs to reflect the God that you serve. And that's something that's it's pretty wild, but literally it, every, it permeates every part of Israel's life. God's holiness is to permeate everything they do, from childbirth, Right? We've seen all the laws in Leviticus about childbirth purity. To foods, what they can eat, what they can't eat. To how they'll prepare certain foods. To how they'll sow their fields. To how they'll plant their crops. How they'll raise their animals. Even how they'll take a dump. <laughs> like This is all part of what God's saying. is I permeate all of your life. There's no difference between the sacred and the secular. It's all sacred in terms of God being present in it. So this is, again, I guarantee if you ever hear a pastor preach on this verse or chapter, please let me know because it's a funny one to teach on. Um, but even in such a weird, kind of gross, cringe-inducing, blush-inducing section of Deuteronomy, if we're looking, we see the principles underneath it, which is God wants His people to be different. He wants His people to be a people of order. And He wants His people to reflect Him to the nations so that paradoxically, while they're excluded at this point in Israel's worshiping history, there's coming a time that's going to be what we know of as the New Covenant, where they're all brought into Israel's worshiping community. And that's where we live now. 
So when we preach, when we teach, when we look at the outsider, the foreigner, the eunuch, the, you know, whoever, we need to look at them through the eyes of Isaiah 56, not Deuteronomy 23. Make sense? It's a weird chapter. We're only halfway through it. Come back next week. We're out of time. Um, I would say we have seconds, but we don't. You guys ate it all, so good job. See you next week.